Hello, everyone, and welcome to God in All Things. I'm Tori. I'm Kariana. And we are going to be discussing Pride and Prejudice today. Here on God in All Things, we do talk about film and literature and gospel principles, spiritual principles that we can learn from both. And yeah, like I said, we're starting with Pride and Prejudice. It's our first episode. Super excited. We're so excited and so to get nervous. Started. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Super stressed that this isn't going to work because we are very technically not, we're not technically defined. We like reading books. You know, you open, <laughs> yes. you flip a page. <laughs> it works really so, nice. <laughs> yeah, technical difficulties. Hopefully we figured them out already before we even started this, but it did take us a little bit. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes for all of you. So Pride and Prejudice, we're going to start with a little summary for those of you who are unfamiliar with Pride and Prejudice. So, and I'm going to read it off my computer so I make sure I hit everything. So Pride and Prejudice was first published in 1813. Being one of five daughters, Elizabeth Bennett, our main character, and her sisters will need to make good mar marriages, and her mother isn't dedicated to making sure that happens. Fortunately, a wealthy young man, Mr. Bingley, has recently moved into town, and the eldest Bennett sister, Jane, seems to have caught his eye. Unfortunately, his even wealthier friend, Mr. Darcy, is less friendly. After an unfortunate comment made at the town ball, Elizabeth quickly takes a dislike to him, determined to have as little to do with him as possible, while still encouraging her sister and Mr. Bingley in their courtship. However, perhaps she came to her conclusion about Mr. Darcy a little bit too quickly. So that is Pride and Prejudice. Um, disclaimer, we will be going into spoilers after this. So if you haven't read it, haven't seen the, any film, ab film adaptations, then maybe step aside. Unless you don't really care, which I know for me, sometimes I don't really care about spoilers. But if you do, know that we are going into spoilers for the rest of this episode. And just go read it because it's great. <laughs> exactly it is great um so yeah let's talk about some personal experiences first with the book Pride and Prejudice so this was actually one of the first classics I ever read by myself and I I didn't love it I'm not going to lie I didn't dislike it I just I had seen the film adaptations I had actually seen the miniseries as well so I just knew the story already it was one I felt like I had kind of grown up with and so by the time I was old enough to read it I was like well I'm familiar with this it was never like a favorite for me to begin with so I just ended up like not being that into it but then a few years ago I decided to reread it after I had read a couple other Jane Austen works I think I had actually read all of them by then and then I decided to reread Pride and Prejudice and I grew to appreciate it a lot better. It's also one that I love hearing people talk about, like hearing people analyze and discuss all the characters and the plot points. And just Jane Austen's writing is a delight to read and to quote. So I do like a lot about that. But yeah, I didn't originally love, love it. It was It's always been kind of just an average like cozy but it just never stood out to me I'm a I'm a tragedy girl you'll learn this really quickly about me so Jane Austen even to this day I still really enjoy her like she's probably my favorite happy novelist one as of my favorites good as a happy novelist exactly can be. she's up there she's a good cozy one for me but I it, she's never gonna be a favorite she's just not I guess Emma might come close but we'll talk about that another time I'm sure so yeah uh fair enough uh, <laughs> I'm a I'm a happy ending kind of girl. <laughs> I can take a good tragedy here and there, but um, I love just a good solid love story where I know exactly who's gonna end up together at the end. Um, yeah, so I remember watching 
the Kira Knightley movie when I was younger, but I didn't actually like comprehend it or like like com- compute it like as Pride and Prejudice, you know, I didn't really remember it. So the first time I picked up the book was in high school and I didn't even make it past the first chapter. <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I just put it down. I think it was more like my my headspace at that moment that I was like, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, so no, that's what I was dating a guy named Bennett, actually, and we were in a fight. <laughs> so I picked it up to like decompress and then read Bennett and I was like, I can't do this. Um, but yeah, so then when I finally read it, it was actually a, I was like destined to read it for the first time last year because Tori decided to host a Jane Austen book club. So over the course of a year, we read all six of Jane Austen's completed novels. Um, and, uh, at the same time, the same last February, my sister was in the play Pride and Prejudice and I host a family book club. And so she chose to read Pride and Prejudice for our family book club. So I was reading it for Tori's book club <laughs> and my family book club at the same time. And in that same few months, I watched the BBC miniseries and the Kira Knightley movie and went and saw my sister's play like four times. <laughs> and it was the only thing anyone in my family was talking about. So last February, I had this book memorized. Not so much anymore. <laughs> but... It was very fresh back yes. then. But yeah, so so yeah, I uh, got inundated last year, and now I now I love Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. So apparently, neither of us had a very good start with it. But don't fret, Jane Austen lovers. We enjoy it now, and that's why we're starting with our first episode with it because I feel like that's one that a lot of people will know about and enjoy. And we have come to enjoy it as well. So gospel principles wise, we want to focus on charity because obviously the whole book is about pride and prejudice and why those are not good. And I think an all encompassing term for that would be charity. Yeah. So to just kind of establish a base for uh, for a definition of charity um, in let's see in Moroni seven in the Book of Mormon. Um, it defines charity as the pure love of Christ. And then it says that the people who have charity uh, suffereth long. Um, it is kind, envieth not, and is not puffed up, and seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and rejoiceth, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's kind of a lot. <laughs> a similar definition is in Corinthians 13 in the New Testament. Um, but to kind of, you know, put that into uh, into more modern English terms, basically charity uh, is the idea that we love the people around us uh, despite um, their principles, their choices that we disagree with that go against things that we believe. And we would also call this Christ-like love, right? Kind of that pure love of Christ, like Moroni Moroni mentioned. Um, yeah, so in the book, The Law of Love by Steve Young, a former NFL player, uh, he explains that this kind of love is not really like that warm, fuzzy feeling that we get romantically, right? It more means respect, understanding, 
being willing to try to stand in another's shoes to seek empathy or being willing to look at another's history and why and how they got here to this place. So that's kind of, so we're going to try to apply this to Pride and Prejudice in a few different ways and contexts and places. Yeah. I love that Steve Young describes it as a sense of respect, basically, Mm -hmm. for someone else. I think it's deeper, obviously, than respect because it's a Christ-like respect where it's going a lot deeper to where you actually care for the person, too. But I think that, you know, there's some people that you're not going to necessarily want to have in your life or in your children's lives due to safety reasons or whatever. But just to understand that there's an understanding that these are children of God who have the capability to improve in the future. And even if maybe right now you don't want them around your children, you shouldn't deny them the opportunity in the future to become better. Um, because that's what the future is all about, because that's what Christ is all about and his sacrifice. So um, I think this book really kind of touches on that for sure with obviously Lizzie and Darcy. So let's go through their plot line, because I think that showcases very well what the book is saying about charity and not being so prejudiced or prideful. And then we will go a little deeper, I think, than Jane Austen does, because let's be honest, there's some characters she's less than kind to. (laughs) You can tell who her Um, favorites are. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Um, So Lizzie and Darcy. So their relationship starts off terribly. Darcy is just (laughs) a really awkward person. (laughs) They're at the ball, at the Netherfield ball, after Mr. Bingley has moved in and um, Elizabeth overhears Darcy saying something very unkind about her to um, his friend. In fact, let's just read it because it's just just a great example of Austin's writing plus just such a like well-known quote <laughs> and yeah, we need to include it. So basically we hear... Elizabeth is overhearing Darcy and Bingley discuss with each other. They're talking about Jane and how beautiful she is and how Bingley's so lucky to be dancing with her. Um, And Bingley talks about how Elizabeth's not too bad as well. But Darcy ends up saying she is tolerable, but not handsome enough to tempt me. And I am in no humor at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the Kira Knightley one includes the first part of that, which is bad enough. But the second one where he says that he, you know, I'm too good to pick up other men's scraps. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, yeah, she has every right to not be very impressed by him. Um, But this one little moment just really solidifies her hatred for him. Like, she does not let it go. She does not give him a chance. She lets it define his entire character. Exactly. Like, we even, just a few pages later, um, Jane ends up saying, let me pull it right up. She's She ends up telling Jane what was overheard and Jane of course feels bad for her but Jane's just an angel so she sees the best in everybody so she ends up saying that Miss Bingley told me said Jane that he never speaks much unless among his intimate acquaintance with them he is remarkably agreeable and Lizzie of course does not believe a word of it um so even Jane at the beginning has heard like you know he's just not very good with people and not very good around people but Lizzie is just too insulted she's not gonna listen to any of that 
Um, but we also see pretty quickly that Darcy isn't very angelic in his perceptions either, even though he does like her eyes very quickly <laughs> after this. Um, but he also is pretty prejudiced. Yeah, he definitely allows the actions of her family to um, to guide his, his decisions and his feelings for sure. Okay, so next we'll move on to what we call the proposal scene, the first proposal scene. <laughs> um, there's your spoiler. <laughs> the classic. So, yes. Classic yes. first proposal scene. If you've watched the Kira Knightley version, <laughs> you know this scene. <laughs> Although it's not nearly as sexy in the book. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. They're like in a room. Yeah. Chatting. In the book, you really, you're not like, say yes. You're like, Huh? <laughs> what did you just say? We'll, we'll go through some examples, okay? So let's talk about some of the some of my favorite highlights of things that that he says, okay? He spoke well, but there were feelings besides those of the heart to be detailed, and he was not more eloquent on the subject of tenderness than of pride. His sense of her inferiority, of its being a degradation, of the family obstacles which had always opposed to inclination, were dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding, but very, but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. So starts off by by you know talking about her and her family's inferiority to him. He concluded with representing to her the strength of that attachment, which in spite of all his endeavors, he had found impossible to conquer. And with expressing his hope that it would now be rewarded by her acceptance of his hand. Because obviously the first thing I want to do is reward a man to accept (laughs) with with my hand for, for trying to get over me and insulting your family. Yes. Yes. Like such a turn on. (laughs) What a winner. And he's so sure of himself. He's so sure. I can't even remember the exact quote, but he, it basically talks about how he's like, he knows he's, she's going to say yes. So he's just like, Yes. Trying to make it as eloquent as possible and nice, but yeah. like really, he's like she can't say no. Like we have it so rich. Yeah, right here he says that I'm sure there's another one. I'm sure there's several, but it says he spoke of apprehension and anxiety, but his countenance expressed real security. He's just positive. He knows. Um, yeah, and it, then so she rejects him, and he gets very very upset about it. And asks her, I might perhaps wish to be informed why with so little endeavor at civility, I am thus rejected, but it is of small importance. So after he's rejected, then obviously his pride is so strong that he has to, you know, like act like it doesn't even matter. It doesn't actually bother me that much (laughs) because clearly you're not worth my time anyway. You didn't even matter to me to begin with. So yeah, he's absolutely positive of himself. He's so prideful in himself. He's so sure that he's so he's so obviously better than her that how could she say anything other than yes which there are i mean there are financial reasons for him to assume this as well yeah. not only does he love her <laughs> um he knows that she's poor and needs a wealthy attachment and he can provide that so i mean so in his mind there's absolutely no reason that she wouldn't say yes to him Um, and so, yeah, we definitely, we don't see the part of that charity definition here that says it seeketh not after itself. It's all about what he wants. I want you, therefore you have to give yourself 
to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I'll reward you. It's almost like a reward. <laughs> it's like, I will reward you with my money and taking care of you. As opposed to just genuinely wanting to take care of her. Yeah. And so there's definitely that lack of charity there. Because obviously with um, Lizzie, she just doesn't seek to understand him at all. And so that's her biggest problem is she doesn't have charity because she's just thinking about those first impressions and she's not willing to let him grow. And she's not willing to get to know him better after just one honestly really awful experience. So it's understandable on some level, but the charity is definitely lacking there. Whereas for him, it's the problem is that he is just thinking about himself. Yeah. That it is just about his own pride and his own desires. It's yeah. not actually about her. He doesn't actually care about her needs yeah. or desires. It's hard to even really call it love, you know, mm-hmm. either that Christ-like love or the or the warm and fuzzy <laughs> kind of yeah. romantic love. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to, you know, he still has a long ways to go before you can really even say he's in love with her. Yeah. And it ends pretty much ends with Lizzie's wonderful quote of from the very beginning from the first moment I may almost say of my acquaintance with you your manners impressing me with the fullest belief of your arrogance your conceit and your selfish selfish disdain of the feelings of others were such as to form that groundwork of disapprobation on which succeeding events have built so immovable a dislike and i had not known you a month before i felt that you were the last man in the world whom i could ever be prevailed upon to marry so yeah very hard (laughs) she said hard pass basically in jane austen terms she said hard pass hard pass (laughs) thanks but no thanks but don't worry we're only halfway Um, through the book yes (laughs) only half those just the first proposal the first proposal so then of course darcy ends up sending her this letter just so uh, originally she had accused him uh first of all his the situation with mr wickham blaming him for taking away wickham's inheritance basically um, because that's all she's really heard so far. And she hated Darcy so much that she was willing to believe it just like that immediately because Wickham's charming. So may as well believe the charming one and not the socially awkward one. <laughs> um, so there was that. And then, of course, the situation with Jane um, that Darcy ended up pulling Bingley away from Jane, which is what Lizzie recently found out. Um, and so we get into the letter and this is where Lizzie especially starts to understand him a little bit better. He starts off by talking about the Jane situation, which I kind of, I really love that Jane Austen has him basically say, you know, like, yeah, I did that. Like it wasn't because I think especially in a discussion of Pride and Prejudice, like, excusing the prejudice it's so easy to be like well you just don't understand all the context and i think often in life we talk about that like when someone's like speeding on the freeway or driving bad on the freeway we're (laughs) always like well maybe they're going to the hospital and it's like true but maybe not (laughs) probably not probably not (laughs) and so what then like we still need to seek for charity for that person yeah and so anyway so i like that darcy yeah admits like yeah and it's a moment of him swallowing his pride too Mm -hmm. you know he's willing to say i did that it seemed right i don't fully regret it but Mm -hmm. you know like you know like here it is (laughs) like (laughs) he's willing to just be open and honest but he does give his reasons he's like you know to me i had the best intentions Mm -hmm. like i meant to help my friends because of what i was paying what i was seeing based on my 
perception and what I knew at the time. And so even then, I mean, he's, you still see a little bit of the pride in yeah. his like inability to say even like I regret it or I feel bad or anything. Like he doesn't even apologize really, not at yeah. this point at least, about it because he's like, well, I was doing it for my friends. So you can think <laughs> what you want on that one. But right. that's that's why. There's my reason. So, But, you know, like we kind of talked about with the Steve Young quote, right? Like it's about loving people even when we disagree with their principles. Mm-hmm. As far as he's concerned, like the respectability of his friend and his acquaintances matters to him really strongly Mm -hmm. and really it does to um to lizzie too but Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah so even even if they're in disagreement on that like you just kind of accept that you have a disagreement and love each other anyway (laughs) just move on and so and i do feel like that even though lizzie even says later you know she doesn't really like what he said about Jane, there's still a part of her that I think appreciates that quality in him. Because, yeah, like you said, it's a quality she shares with him of caring about one's friends. It's just an unfortunate context for it. (laughs) It just, unfortunately, is a little close to home. So it's harder to accept. Um, And then, of course, he talks about Mr. Wickham and the true story behind all of that. That's where we as readers find out, which is just a crazy moment. Your first time reading of being like, oh... Dang it. I liked him. Knew he, he was, was too good to be true. Too good to be true. It's way too good to be true. And um yeah, basically Wickham um did get his inheritance and just squandered it and then asked for more. And when Darcy refused, Wickham lured away Darcy's sister, seduced her, and almost ruined her reputation. Um really bad situation for the time obviously nowadays we'd be like i mean it's sad because you don't want this guy to basically take advantage of your sister but it's not like it's going to ruin her for the rest of her life necessarily as far as reputation goes and being able to social standing yeah Uh, whereas back then it would have destroyed her social standing it would have destroyed her whole future so definitely a horrible situation lizzie finds out about this and i like that she believes him so quickly like she easily could have been like oh you're making that up but i think a part of her now that she's starting to understand him better through this letter is like no i think darcy's telling the truth because he maybe a lot of things that i don't like still but he's an honest person yeah like i think she's at least picked up on that like especially with him starting with the jane thing and being so honest about that like he doesn't try to excuse himself or say, oh, no, it was a misunderstanding or something. Like, he he's honest about what he did. And I think that showed her that, okay, he's an honest person. I totally missed that yeah. in my first judgment of him. Yeah. Which is where we see her swallow that prejudice. Yeah. Because she allows herself to kind of let go of that initial thought, finally, and see the good past the things that she doesn't like. Right. And I think it's also important, I guess we can go into the second proposal, the final proposal now, because obviously a lot happens in between the letter (laughs) and the second proposal, which we'll get into, don't worry, um, with some other focuses. But as far as Lizzie and Darcy goes, a lot of that is just Darcy continuing to make up for his pride that he's shown in the past and Lizzie learning to get away from her prejudice and i do like towards the end um i can't remember what page it's on so we're just gonna have to say a general (laughs) idea paraphrase it but um basically darcy explains that her rejection of him 
made him really realize that he wasn't the kind of man he wanted to be, Mm. that he wanted to be a better person, that he had the right values. Like we said, like he cared about his friend and that was a really great value of his, but he kind of limited that to people he knew well, to people he was already friends with, as opposed to extending it to others and extending it to people who he sees as his inferiors. Um, and yeah, I just think you, you, we don't really get to see it because it's all Lizzie's perspective, but I like that it throws in that, that moment, the same moment where Lizzie started to change in her opinions about him, he started to change as well and grow greater in charity. Of course, they're not perfect by the end of the book. There's definitely, you know, some people that you get the feeling they're going to try to avoid (laughs) in the future, (laughs) Um, which doesn't mean that they don't have charity for them, but you still get the feeling that there's certain people they just don't like very much and they don't have very kind feelings towards (laughs) um, and kind of look down on still. There's a little bit of pride left in both of them, but you can see that they're on their way to a better place. You've seen some of that progression and you can only imagine that a lifetime will continue that progression between the two of them. They're just going to be able to help each other because they're on the same beautiful to see them growing and learning that together at the same time because of each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a delight. So, yes. So obviously that's what Jane Austen has a, has us focus on is Darcy and Lizzie and how they develop greater essentially charity towards each other and towards a few other people as well. But I do think Jane Austen stops a little short. She, like I said, towards the beginning, like she can be very judgmental clearly of (laughs) some of the characters. Like even as the author, she's trying to create characters that will make you laugh and that you'll think are silly but they're also based in reality. I think we can all say that we've met people like some of the characters in this book, Definitely. at least on some level. And so we want to go even deeper beyond what Jane Austen did and talk about how we can feel charity for some of these other characters and how the seeds are planted for a lot of them. Jane Austen, like, it's hard to know, obviously, what she really thought. But I do think that there's little points in here that we can point to that show the deeper experiences and contexts, the inner contexts of each of these characters and how we can feel greater charity towards them and how they deserve charity just by being children of God. Obviously, they're fictional, but (laughs) the representation of being a children of God. Okay, so let's start with the Bennets, Mr. and Mrs. Bennet. Um, I've heard... Lots of different opinions on <laughs> these yes. characters. I feel like they're like see, like subtly controversial. Like I think yes. like, <laughs> nobody would go in and be like, "Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Bennet, they're such controversial characters." But like, they kind of are. They kind of because are. Because you, your first instinct obviously is to think Mrs. Bennet is silly because that's what the narrative leaves you. I, to I mean, it tells you too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then a lot of people also hate on Mr. Bennet because he doesn't yeah. seem to care and he is very sarcastic and kind of rude to his wife. And there are moments too. There's so, a moment where Lizzie is kind of like, yeah, I don't really approve of the way that he does things as yeah. a husband mm-hmm. so much, you know? So there's like, there's some notes of like, he's definitely got his problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I personally 
I cannot stand Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> I don't like a single moment she is in the book. And so I know not everybody feels that strongly. Obviously, she's supposed to be annoying on some level, but it works really well for me. Um, and I absolutely love Mr. Bennett. So I have very polarized opinions. Wow, you're very I adore extreme. him. I love him. Extreme. Okay. Fair. <laughs> yes. Very extreme. Fair. I would say. Um, sorry. No. Go my, ahead. I honestly am pretty middle of the road with both of them, but okay. I also am just a moderate person in most situations. <laughs> That's another thing about us. Karyana tends to get more extreme in her passionate feelings, and I am a little more moderate in my feelings. Maybe part of that has to do with me loving tragedies, so like sad things, and like so you kind of are trained to like be like, well, everybody kind of their life sucks a little bit so you feel kind of bad for everybody but i like highs and lows no, either one so i have moderate anyway, things about me I i'm promise, very curious but... to hear what you ended up okay figuring out with this well okay so i was like it's really easy for me to find charity for mr bennett right because i'm like well his wife sucks so like what can you say he's stuck to it good for him <laughs> the way he treats his daughter is a little rough but um anyway I kind of ended up focusing more on Mrs. Bennett because I was like okay like how can I feel charity for Mrs. Bennett because if I met this woman in real life I would actually lose my mind um <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's so sad poor Mrs. Bennett okay sorry continue oh my gosh um okay no, sorry before we go into that let's just think about the introduction to both of them okay. because this first chapter first of all is iconic just because it's a delight but like they're the first characters introduced and i think we see very early on what their marriage is going to be like because they're very different people um we start with of course the famous first line <laughs> it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife and then we go into um, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. They are in a room. And, of course, there's this rich young man, Mr. Bingley, who has just moved into the neighborhood. And Mrs. Bennett needs Mr. Bennett to go introduce them because he has to introduce himself first. You know, social etiquette. Introduce himself first. And then he can introduce his daughters who are of marriageable age and desperately in, needs of fun in need of funds. So... Mrs. Bennett is trying to convince him to do this and she does it in her very Mrs. Bennett way of talking about how that Netherfield Park is let at last and Mr. Bennett doesn't reply <laughs> and she continues trying to get him to answer again he doesn't respond and she says do you not want to know who has taken it and then he finally replies deigns to reply you want to tell me and i have no objection to hearing it <laughs> and this was invitation enough Jane Austen says. So then she goes on and explains to him. And Mr. Bennett asks, what is his name? Bingley. Is he married or single? Oh, single, my dear, to be sure. A single man of large fortune. Four or five thousand a year. What a fine thing for our girls. How so? How can it affect them? <laughs> my dear Mr. Bennett, how can you be so tiresome? You must know that I am thinking of his marrying one of them. Is that his design in settling here? So he's just very sarcastic. And they continue on. And he just keeps teasing her. Um, 
in a lot of ways. Again, not very kind, although I will get into my personal thoughts. I don't think he's necessarily being rude, rude. I just think he just has a certain personality that this is just how he responds. Like, I don't think he has mal- malicious intent. Like some people we all know him, him. Dads you know? are always kind of like that, yeah. you know, like, like, like the dumb, what time is it time for you to get a watch joke? You yeah. know, like that's mm-hmm. not something that only dads say, but that's such like, exactly. like dads, I'm hungry. There's one, you know, yes. like <laughs> yes. I'm hungry. Nice to meet you. Hungry. <laughs> like it's yeah. such a, like dads are just like that. Just sometimes, the sarcasm. So. And especially when your wife, like, Mrs. Bennett is just a chatty Kathy mm-hmm. and it's just all over the place. And Mr. Bennett is just a very laid back person. So yeah. it just makes sense that a conversation between two people like that is going to go like this. Um, but the chapter ends. I'll read this and then we can go into what you end up finding about Mrs. Bennett. Um, because this last paragraph in this first chapter just sums up perfectly their relationship and the differences in their personalities. So it says, Mr. Bennett was so cl- so odd a mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice, that the experience of three and twenty years had been insufficient to make his wife understand his character. Her mind was less difficult to develop. She was a woman of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. When she was discontented, she fancied herself nervous. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Its solace was in visiting and news. So, obviously, very different people who are living in a time where their marriage was primarily about financial reasons. So love was, didn't have much to do with it to begin with. And so it's understandable that they would have a hard time loving each other after years of being around each other. Right. They probably didn't weren't in love when they got married. (laughs) Um, yeah. And I think that that goes in perfectly to like the main thing that gets me on Mrs. Bennett's side actually is, uh, the fact that, you know, she she's so obsessed with getting her daughters married off. And most of the time that reads like a teenage girl who's obsessed with dating, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, my gosh, get like, can you talk about something else? Get over it. Right. But um, one of the things that I finally realized was like she is she's genuinely concerned about her daughter's temporal well-being right which is completely legitimate as Mm -hmm. especially as a mother you know a mother who knows that they're not going to be able to survive with their parents forever she doesn't even know from if you don't know the story for more context they're looking at potentially losing their house if mr bennett dies before um yeah, if Mr. Bennett dies, then the women are likely to be kicked out of the home. And so she knows that she needs to get her daughters taken yeah. care of or they're literally going to be homeless or stuck in some horrible situation, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's really easy to read it as this, like, obnoxious teenage girl dating stuff. But I think that it goes a lot deeper than that. And she's genuinely concerned and that's just how she expresses it, right? And then uh, one of this is one of my favorite Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett lines, actually. It's, I think it's redeeming for both of them. But it, um, but yeah, it's uh, so in that first conversation that, that Tori read um, just a l- tiny bit further down. Uh, actually, it's the next paragraph. Um, Mr. Bennett says, you and the girls may go to introduce themselves to Bingley, the new rich guy in town. Um, or you may send them by yourselves, which perhaps will still be better, for as you are as handsome as any of them, Mr. Bingley may like you the best of the party. 
And Mrs. Bennett responds, my dear, you flatter me. I certainly have had my share of beauty, but I do not pretend to be anything extraordinary now. When a woman has five grown up daughters, she ought to give over thinking of her own beauty. And then Mr. Bennett says, in such cases, a woman has not often much beauty to think of. And then Mrs. Bennett just kind of moves on, you know, and um, it's another one of those moments where it's like, you know, her her genuine interest is in her daughters yeah. you know she she's even willing to say like i mean yeah it was hot stuff once upon a time yeah. but like that doesn't matter anymore i'm worried about my girls i want to get them married off you know i'm taking care of i'm fine i'm thinking about them so she's very much she she puts aside her own interests and sacrifices herself to think about the welfare of her daughters so mm-hmm. i have to give her i have to give her that she's a pretty She's maybe not a perfect mom, (laughs) but she, but who is? Yep. She's better than a lot of others Mm -hmm. and she cares a lot. Yeah. She has a big heart. And I also think like from a like modern perspective, you can also see that she probably is dealing with a lot of mental health problems. Definitely. That like it talks about her nervous complaints and stuff and that she says she's ill when she's stressed out or whatever and that's very much an anxiety thing and she probably is suffering from some level of depression as well um especially like even though her and her husband have good moments and i i do want to point out a few moments like that where you know they're not always completely at odds about things um they definitely have yeah they have good moments but um despite those good moments she does have a husband who doesn't treat her very nicely like that's true and especially because it says right in the beginning like she doesn't understand her husband and doesn't quite understand his humor probably yeah and so that's like whether or not you think that she should or that she or whatever like that's gonna be hard on your mental health that's a really good point to live with somebody who you feel doesn't respect you or care about yeah or like someone that you also just don't understand and you just like you think that he doesn't care too like he does he's just in a different way like he's just a quieter person mm-hmm. and because and i think that shows very early on because we just have that scene where he's kind of teasing her about talking to mr bingley and not wanting to basically um but in the very next chapter i think this is very telling because a lot of people will talk point to that first scene as like clearly he doesn't care about his daughters and their right. needs their livelihoods he just kind of is letting things happen and he doesn't seem to care about his wife and he treats her badly but in the very next chapter it makes it very clear that he are he immediately went like Mm -hmm. he didn't beat around the bush he wasn't like oh mm, i don't know right he's he he has a teasing personality and so he kind of likes teasing his wife right um which you can say whatever however you want treat that however you want but ultimately he does care about his daughters and where they're gonna end up because he does go to meet mr bingley which is probably not something he'd like to do because he's very socially awkward yeah you can tell he has social social anxiety a little bit yeah like, I don't know if you he would describe that. I think he probably would just say he just doesn't like to socialize, but he can. Right. But I get the feeling that he maybe isn't super... He likes his alone Yeah, time. like, I think there's some anxiety <laughs> there. Like, I think it makes him kind of uncomfortable to go right. and meet strangers. But he just does it. He ends up doing it for his daughters. He does take his time to tell them... <laughs> again, <laughs> teasing. Again, teasing. And he kind of, again, he kind of loves that. But, oh yeah, right here. 
beginning yeah, of says. chapter two it says <laughs> mr bennett was among the earliest of those who waited on mr bingley he had always intended to visit him though to the last always assuring his wife that he should not go until the <laughs> evening after the visit was paid she had no knowledge of it so he keeps it secret he's he's a stinker yeah and <laughs> when sure. he when he he's tells them it says the astonishment of the ladies was just what he wished like he's looking yeah. for a reaction exactly <laughs> he's just like this is the joy of his life <laughs> especially at this point is just to tease his family and kind of yeah. bother them but it's kind of understandable i'm like yeah. you know he doesn't even have like a guy around <laughs> to like yeah. hang out with and chat with he doesn't have a son to kind of get along with and so he has to kind of look for his pleasure (laughs) in some way and that's kind of where he finds it and again you can argue is that nice or not nice but like you can't like hate him you know you can't completely despise him or think he's an awful father because he clearly does care about his daughters he always intended to visit mr bingley and you could argue that i mean he i'm sure he cares about his daughters and their welfare but I mean, his wife also asked him to do something and Mm -hmm. you could say like she asked him to do it. So he went and did it and he teased her about it. But like ultimately, you know, when a spouse asks you to do something like the respectful thing to do is to accommodate their requests as much Mm -hmm. as you can. And so so I think that in addition to the welfare of his daughters, he is genuinely concerned about the interests of his wife and what she's looking for as well. Yeah. And the fact that he always intended it means that he knew his wife was going to ask in the first place. <laughs> like he's like, for I know sure. she's going to ask and I know my daughters need it. So I am going to plan on it, but I may as well have fun in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> like I may as well make it a little more interesting. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say he does care about his daughters and Miss Bennett, Mrs. Bennett, um, is a lot to handle (laughs) for sure like i just i think charity being a sign of deep respect and a divine caring yeah just speaks to like with people like that it may not be that you necessarily (laughs) hang out with them all the time yeah but it could just be that you are aware of them and you're willing to take those moments to care about them and to appreciate their good qualities because everybody has them there's not a single person in this world who has zero good qualities that you can appreciate so um, she's a child of god right just like the rest of us she's (laughs) a child of god um i did also want to mention you talked a little bit about the nerves and social anxiety um or not social anxiety necessarily but like anxiety and depression issues that a lot of people have theorized that mrs bennett dealt with it's interesting because austin like we kind of mentioned at the beginning she has her favorites and she is nicer to some characters than others and um so the way that austin describes mrs bennett is uh, just in one sentence when she was discontented she fancied herself nervous so as to say like you know she's upset and so oh my nerves you know Mm -hmm. and austin doesn't really buy the fact it seems like from this statement that mrs bennett is actually dealing with anything serious but i think that we as readers are allowed to look past that and Mm -hmm. say just because you think that and just because you wrote that doesn't like from all of these signs and these things that I'm reading, we're allowed to think that she's wrong (laughs) and give that charity where Austin doesn't. Yeah. But I also think that it shows 
a characteristic in Miss Mrs. Bennet. The idea that she, when she's discontented, she fancies herself nervous. So she kind of has this idea where she doesn't want to complain, really. Hmm, so she kind of wants to, like, she wants it to seem like it's something outside of her control. It's more real. And so, so that maybe partially to like have people feel more sympathetic towards her but also yeah. i think in a sense there's a little bit of um like not wanting to bother other people and so it's kind of her way of like expressing how she feels without feeling like she's putting other people right you know because like, it's almost like, like it's their problem too exactly like she's not trying to like create expectations for other people by being like, um, I don't like this, so you need to fix it. Uh-huh. She kind of, so her response, and while it's not necessarily healthy, it's almost like she's like, well, I don't want to bother people by making them feel like they have to fix my problems. So I'm just going to say that I'm not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Because then, you know, they can do little things for me, but they won't feel quite so put upon. Right. And I don't know if that's necessarily what she'd be thinking, but like there that's is a little bit idea. of a feeling of her trying to like temper the bother it will give other people, hmm. and which makes it even more sad when Jane Austen's like kind of trading it very flippantly when right. it's like oh, and I believe that Mrs. Bennet is partially based off Jane Austen's own mother. I yeah yeah I've got that because feeling I think too. yeah their relationship wasn't that great and that there were a lot of she her mother was kind of a hypochondriac yeah and very so, much that kind of Lizzie Mrs. Mm-hmm, Bennet relationship exactly feeling. I think she was from what I've read which is very little but from what I've read it almost seems like her mom was kind of a combination of Mrs. Bennet and um, Emma's dad in Emma. <laughs> like, which if you, Emma's dad is them. a delight. <laughs> yes. So yes. go read that one too. <laughs> so I feel like it's kind of this combination that probably drove Jane Austen crazy. But Pride and Prejudice was also written first. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that by the time she wrote Emma, she was just more sympathetic towards the situation. Yeah. And that's why Emma's father isn't quite so annoying. Yeah. She like, might have learned to give yeah, charity exactly. where, and and, and grow and understand. And, yes. Look at that. I love it. So great. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I would say ultimately, um, I don't know if you had any other quotes for Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. I have some others I could share, but I think the point's been made. That I think they're just in a difficult marriage and they're both trying to make the best of it. Yeah. And I think that, you know. They both have good um, intentions. Yeah, they do. And by the end, um, there's some great scenes where um, Mrs. Bennett is, of course, over the moon for Lydia. Which Mm -hmm. also, I think, shows a good. It's so hard because you're like, obviously, Lydia made horrible decisions. And you feel like Mrs. Bennett is just excusing that. Yeah. But on some level, too, it's like she's almost rising above the rest of society by being like, you know what? I'm accepting my daughter back. Like, I'm not going to like Lizzie and Mr. Bennett and the rest are kind of like, oh, we're going to shun them. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, the deed's been done. This is what happened. They're still family. Like, you're going to just ostracize them. Whereas Mrs. Bennett, of course, it comes from a bit of a naivete. But also, I think there is a part of it that is her being willing to accept and love her daughter no matter what. Yeah. Okay. So we've looked at two sides of a relationship, how charity can apply to that. Just recognizing that both people, I think Mr. and Mrs. Bennett are both wanting to try to make things work i think mr bennett may be a little less so 
I think. I mean, part of mm-hmm. it, I don't think Mrs. Bennett is thinking in a, like, mature, rational way. Like, I want to make this better. Yeah. But I think she's constantly trying to have a good relationship with her She's husband. probably trying to reach out a you little know? bit more. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mr. Bennett is just kind of like, eh. <laughs> like, I care enough about you that I'll do things you ask and I'll, yeah. you know, do my best by my daughters. But... Like, but I, I don't know that we really see a time where Mrs. Bennett like tries to go out of her way for Mr. Bennett. She cares a lot about her true. daughters, but she doesn't really. I don't. I can't think of a time where she puts a lot of effort into her marital relationship. Yeah. Beyond the fact that she she's the one that often asks him for advice and his opinions, like when okay, Mr. Collins true. is rejected by Lizzie, mm-hmm. and she of course goes to him to get him to talk to Lizzie. He's her authority, and stuff, but yeah. like he asks for, she asks for his help, and maybe part of that is because he, she thinks Lizzie will listen to him more. But I right. think there is a sense that even in the beginning, like she's talking to him. Yeah, like there's a lot of moments where she reaches out to him as far as like getting his opinion or getting his input in things okay fair point so whereas he just he just doesn't yeah i think for him there's just and i think for him there is probably a sense of depression as well of like he's depressed feeling like feeling very alone probably yeah and stuck with the situation and just because his personality he's maybe a little bit more mature in some ways in his way of thinking and he's just a little bit more of a passive person where she's a lot more aggressive yeah. and active. I just think that she does more to interact with him and have conversation with him and stuff than he does. And so That's, I feel like yeah. he, the most he does is try to help their daughters, mm-hmm. which is still a lot. It's but, important. you know, once the daughters are all gone, what's going yeah. to happen if they're both still alive? So... Yeah, it's a difficult situation, but I think that charity can be felt for both sides because they're both they're both in the same marriage, like yeah. and they're both dealing with the hardships of it. So, um, yeah, I think there's charity that belongs to both of them. Um, we did also want to talk about how context can influence our ability to feel charity. Obviously, with Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, we were talking about their different personalities, their different characteristics. Um, but what about the context in which people live and how that influences our ability to uh, respect them and understand them in a divine, loving way? Yeah, lots of times it can be hard uh, for people. So, well, just the the three people, the kind of group of people we want to discuss is uh, Charlotte, Lydia, and Caroline. All three, young, well, young, you know, relatively young ladies. <laughs> And yeah, in our relatively. perception, they're all young. Um, Charlotte is 27, right? I believe so. Yeah, 27. So, um, you know, in our society, still perfectly marriageable age. But back then, not so much. Lydia and Caroline are both young, um, younger teenagers. Um, but yeah, all three of them kind of find themselves in the same situation. They're all vastly different people as well. Um, But they're all in this context that's really difficult for a lot of us to really understand. Some, you know, some people can relate to it a little bit more than others. But these three women don't have a way to really make life for themselves. Um, They're all... uh, Caroline is a part of this upper society. Uh, Charlotte and Lydia are a part of a middle society. Um, 
And in both cases, it's really inappropriate for women to go to work and that can damage your reputation pretty seriously. Um, And so all three of them are in a place where they need marriage in order to secure their future. Um, And so it's, it's really easy for us to kind of look down on them and Lizzie does as well look down on Charlotte in in the novel for kind of speaking Charlotte is the one who kind of speaks out uh the feelings uh that that these women kind of kind of share but uh but yeah their context their life situation their world view is really important to giving them the charity that they deserve and kind of their actions that can be annoying, that we don't understand, that we don't respect a lot of the time. Yeah, I think, I mean, Charlotte, I think, is a pretty common one people think about, um, especially with that context of being a woman in the society where you really don't have many options. Mm -hmm. And, She's the one who openly talks yeah, about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And she, of course, ends up marrying Mr. Collins, who is just <sighs> quite the guy. Um, yeah, he's a whole other discussion we could have, which we're trying to keep this to a reasonable length. So <laughs> consider you can go ahead and think about Mr. Collins on your own time, but and look up some stuff because there's lots of videos and stuff about Mr. Collins and some potential diagnoses for him and just a lot about him. I mean, he was also in a very difficult context, I would say, with his role in the church. But as far as Charlotte goes, she ends up marrying Mr. Collins after Lizzie rejects him. And Lizzie's not impressed. Um, But Charlotte, when she goes to tell him to tell Lizzie about the engagement, um, she says, but when you have had time to think it all over, I hope you will be satisfied with what I have done. I am not romantic, you know. I never was. I ask only a comfortable home. And considering Mr. Collins' character, connections, and situation in life, I am convinced that my chance of happiness with him is as fair as most people can boast on entering the marriage state. I mean, after talking about the Bennets, she has a point there as well. She figures, you know, at least I'll have a home. And at least I'll have food on the table yeah. and right now that's all I can really ask for unfortunately yeah. in this society I'm too old to expect anything romantic and I actually think this is one scene where I prefer it in the Kiri Knightley version oh interesting. the way she words things um and I think it's just because it's a more in a modern way that she says it with modern sensibilities discussing Charlotte and feeling more charity towards her in her situation um, but yeah, overall, um, just, yeah, in the movie where she ends with, don't judge me, Lizzie, don't you dare judge me. Just pointing out, you know, like Lizzie, you can say all you want, but I know what situation I'm in. You're not in that situation yet. So you can't understand. Yeah. Um, and especially just when everything's so based on looks a lot too. And she's like, you know, I'm a very plain person that's made very clear throughout the book is that Charlotte's not necessarily yeah. beautiful. Um, but Lizzie is considered to be pretty good looking, not yeah, as pretty, not as, as, Jane, pretty as Jane, but still but up, nice looking, definitely nicer looking than Charlotte. Yeah. She and she's got like so. what seven more years exactly. before she has to, she's before young, she's in Charlotte's she's position. She's pretty. She she has the ability to hope for something more, yeah. but Charlotte's at a point where she doesn't have any options left, and so she may as well. Yeah, I need sure a house. Taking care of <laughs> that when her parents die, she's not going to be left des- desolate. Yeah. So, um, I think, yeah, her in the book, I think it tries to make you think that Charlotte made a bad mistake, that she's just 
being silly, basically, and not being very um, kind to herself almost. Yeah. But I think we can easily see nowadays, looking back, that she was in a situation where she did the best she could. Yeah. And I think I'm glad that Lizzie doesn't stop being her friend. Um, It does kind of hint at the end that maybe Lizzie and Charlotte don't continue to be as close of friends afterwards. Right. But um, they, you still get the sense that they're, they don't hate each other. They like, respect each yeah, other. Exactly. Yeah. They have a healthy respect. <laughs> like it does charity. kind of hint, too, that Charlotte's marriage isn't super happy. So, yeah, yeah, like you were saying, Austin kind of, you know, like she gives uh, Lizzie respect for her. But she also obviously doesn't really yeah. think it was the right choice yeah Yeah. you might be able to chalk it up to the fact that charlotte moved away and you know when do married and single friends ever stay as close as they used to be right not even today these things happen but yeah no i think you're definitely right and that that austin doesn't think it's the right choice but i think we can definitely say like maybe it was (laughs) actually maybe it was okay and honestly even if it wasn't like it's her choice yeah and that's her life yep if she cares more about the security then yeah you just have to care for her you just yeah you don't want to abandon her because that's not going to help anyone yeah like for sure yeah for sure again even if we don't agree with the principles and ideas Mm -hmm. of others right yes exactly exactly (laughs) yeah um, so then the other ladies, do, yeah. do we want to start with Caroline or Lydia? Um, let's see. I have Lydia pulled up right here. So cool. I can give my, I can give my Lydia idea. Um, so <laughs> Lydia, I feel about the same way I do as Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> Obviously don't handle these obnoxious women characters very well. <laughs> I think I might be a little sensitive to obnoxious female characters, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm like, thanks. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It might be a pattern across a few books. I need to to do some self-reflection. But uh, (laughs) you're like, what past trauma has caused me to struggle with this so much? Yeah, but... But yeah, she just annoys me so much. And um, so Tori and I are both oldest siblings. um, So that definitely is a factor here, I think. And that's That's kind of where I had to come at this with. Um, I, you know, grew up babysitting and taking care of my siblings and, you know, later on helped pay rent and all of that kind of stuff. You know, like I have this innate responsibility inside of me where where I'm like, Lydia, I really need you to stop and pay attention to something. Yes. (laughs) Um, And yeah, but so taking that context and I guess I kind of took the reason that I don't like her and tried to flip it around on its head in this case. And uh, so the quote that I have here, I'll I'll explain it. Don't worry. Um, But it's where uh, they first still in like chapter two, where they first are talking about Bingley. He's still new to the neighborhood. The girls haven't met him yet. And uh, they're like talking about, Oh, he's, you know, he's going to dance with everybody. And Mrs. Bennett says, Lydia, my love, though you are the youngest, I dare say Mr. Bingley will dance with you at the next ball. And Lydia responds, oh, said Lydia stoutly, I am not afraid, for though I am the youngest, I'm the tallest. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's her whole, I don't have any specific quotes from it, because it's like the whole thing, her whole relationship with Wickham, right? Before, especially after they get married, she's just 
unbearable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, bragging like, oh, now I'm the married one. So I'm going to go in first. And I'm going to sit at the like reserved seat at the table and all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking like maybe she has this, though I am the youngest, I'm the tallest. So it's like she takes this thing that puts her as inferior to everybody else and says, but I have this thing that makes me superior to everybody Mm. else. So I almost wonder if there's like a youngest child thing here. Like an inferiority complex. Yeah, this inferiority complex that comes from seeing all of her older sisters doing things, you know? Mm -hmm. Again, I never experienced that, but that was definitely a thing that I heard my younger siblings complain about, right? Like, oh, Mm. well, Kariana gets to do this and Kariana gets to do that. And it's like... um, okay well yeah but that's because I'm older than you (laughs) you know and so I think she has this sense of I like dating and I want to be out and I want to be dancing with boys but I have these lame older sisters who like aren't getting married and moving on so that I can rise and take the preferred place and so I almost wonder if she's just so frustrated with and then the one area where I like Mr. Bennett, I'm like, man, no, you failed right yeah. here, man, is he treats Lydia so poorly. Yeah, he, does. he does not respect Lydia. And I thought a lot about like how much my dad's love and respect and attention means to me. And this feeling of just knowing that your dad kind of derides you and isn't interested yeah. in anything you're doing, thinks you're mm-hmm. dumb, thinks you're useless. And we know that when you're told, you know, when children are told what they are over and over again their entire lives, they tend to become that thing. Mm -hmm. And so she's been told that she's dumb, that she's silly, uh, that she's a flirt. And uh, she knows that she's not as clever as Lizzie. She's not as beautiful as Jane. She wants to be out in the world, but she can't be. And so I think it's all of these like frustrations that come from her place as the youngest, even Mm -hmm. though she is bold and audacious and full of life, that she just wants to be able to do things so badly. And and I can I can definitely see where that where that frustration would be so hard and where I would you know I would also want to experience life in the way that I've been that I that as an oldest child you kind of get to control a little bit more that she can't yeah I think that's that's a really good point I also think like your dislike of Mrs. Bennett also can connect with your dislike of Lydia because Lydia because she doesn't have her father caring about her she only has her mom mm-hmm. and her mom is the example she's following her oh, yeah. mom is the <sighs> Very one who's teaching them her and she her mom is silly and naive and she just probably I mean I'm sure Mrs. Bennett also just hasn't received the same level of education mm-hmm. as Mr. Bennett has obviously for sure because she's a woman um, and she probably didn't have parents who prioritized that for her, whereas Mr. Bennett has done that for Lizzie and Jane, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and even Mary, I would say, has gotten her education. Kitty and Lydia have had the opportunity, but probably just haven't taken it for various reasons. Right. But um, yeah, Mrs. Bennett is just all Lydia has. And she's really the only con- real connection to the family she has. Because Kitty, like, while they're best friends in a lot of ways, Kitty's also the follower. Yeah. So it's not like Lydia's looking up to Kitty. Yeah. It's like Kitty's li- looking up to Lydia, even though she's younger. So Lydia really only has her mom. And so her mom and her mom's behavior is what Lydia's going to pay attention to. And that's what she's going to grow up with. Um, I also, I think a lot of my pity and charity come 
for when it comes to Lydia when I think about her future after the book. Yeah. Because, Ugh. like, her... <laughs> obviously, the Wickham situation is just awful in yeah. many ways, not just for the society, but just because he's just an awful person and probably abusive. Like that's probably a cheater. Yeah, probably (laughs) abusive, probably going to cheat on her a lot. He's not going to be faithful. And we see in the end, like Lydia, it talks about how Lydia, when she comes back after the marriage, she's talking about how much she loves Wickham. Like that's a big thing towards the end. So first of all, she's talking about, it's my dear Wickham this and my dear Wickham that. And um, at the very end, she writes a letter to Lizzie after they're both married and asking for money. But she talks about how much she loves Wickham. And just to know that, like, he's going to break her heart so many times after this book is over. And she's only 16. She pretends like like it's not like like it's not a big deal. She's she's kind of hurting. Learn to. And I think there's a potentially a little bit with Mrs. Bennett and Lydia where they get to a point where with these husbands who don't treat them very well. Not that I'm equating Mr. Bennett with Wickham. I'm sure way worse. But At least right um, now. <laughs> at least right now. But as far as them both being abusive, it's possible that these women become silly and flighty and stuff and kind of ridiculous because they're covering up the hurt. Mm, it's like coping. Yeah, a coping mechanism wow. is what it kind of becomes. And so I feel bad for Lydia because she's clearly so happy. And it's also heartbreaking because Jane and Lizzie knew what Wickham was Mm -hmm. and they didn't tell anyone. They even actively make a decision not to tell people. And so not only is Lydia abandoned by her dad to begin with, but she only has her mom. And then she's also abandoned by her older sisters because they don't warn her Mm -hmm. about the dangers. Lizzie even talks to her dad saying she shouldn't go to Brighton because of this and this and this. And it's like, well, why don't you talk to Lydia about it? She may not listen, but at least you would have made the effort. And then it would be your fault, kind of, in the end. Like, And I think if Lizzie told Lydia more specifically what Wickham has done... I think Lydia, maybe she would have been flippant about it, but I think she would have taken it seriously enough that she wouldn't yes. have gone with him. Yes. Like, I think she would have seen, I think she's smart enough to realize enough. She doesn't want that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. She doesn't want to be taken advantage of yeah. that way and be with a man who's a liar and a cheat and loses all his money all the time. And so yeah, I problem. think... I just, I feel really a lot of charity for Lydia because not only is she in the context of being a woman at this time where she is forced into this marriage after one little mistake that just will impact her whole life and her family's whole life, which seems really ridiculous. Yeah, I just feel bad for where she's going to end up. There's actually a really um, great quote um, in that Law of Love book by Steve Young. Um, Let me see if I can pull it up really quick. It says, we can't judge another person's journey that's between them and God. It's not our journey, and we just can't know what God is up to in their lives. That journey is personal and private and singular. And I think that really applies to Lydia because she has a lot of a journey ahead of her in life. She's this. She's far from over as yeah. far as growth because she's only 16. Yeah. And there is a sorrow that comes from it knowing that she's only 16 and she's stuck in this permanent situation now, but also being willing to let her grow and let her um, hopefully in the future find greater happiness and hopefully learn how to figure things out. I mean, obviously at the very end with the letter, even you can kind of start to see that she's starting to 
mature a li- little bit as far as realities of life yeah are exactly yeah. so you can already see a little bit of a greater understanding in her by the end yeah. um again i think it's sad to think about the part of me doesn't want her to grow up because if she does she's going to realize what she's in yeah um but i think her growth as as far as her relationship with god and coming closer to god and becoming more like him she has that opportunity and i think there's she has a lot of potential in her i guess i would say yeah by the end i definitely wouldn't want anybody judging my relationship with god based on when i was 16 so exactly (laughs) i know know how far i've come since then i would not want anybody Uh, to see yeah where i'm at in my development based on yes and that hasn't even been 10 years so (laughs) there's plenty of time people change fast faster than i think we like to think yeah not necessarily overnight obviously sometimes but sometimes it is uncomfortably fast that changes happen Mm -hmm. you know it's true the day that she realizes that wickham is cheating on her that's going to be a lot of really sad growth overnight yeah he's mistreating her and yeah she's stuck there so um okay caroline let's all right get to caroline caroline there's a fun one yes (laughs) yes i actually i think she's really interesting character i only recently started thinking more in depth about her when a couple years ago um on youtube there's a wonderful youtuber named katie um her channel's books and things and she's done a couple videos talking about pride and prejudice every year for july she hosts jane austen july which is a readathon for jane austen um and she often will do a video in that month and so she's done one on caroline bingley um and she just talked i think the thing that stood out to me most was the fact that she pointed out that Caroline's probably really young. In fact, she's probably younger than Lizzie. It doesn't ever actually say how old Caroline is. Right. But it would be reasonable to assume that she's around Lizzie's age, if not younger. Um, And so it kind of puts a different spin on it because I think a lot of film adaptations put her kind of old. Yeah. Like, not old, old, but, you know, older. But if we think about it, I mean, Mr. Bingley is, like marriageable age for Jane so, so like, like yeah <laughs> Caroline like 24 25 yeah I would guess so Caroline so, can't be that old especially because she's the isn't she the youngest yeah there's another sister so it's Mr. Bingley and then another Mrs. sister who's Hurst. married Mrs. Hurst and then Caroline yeah so she's even yeah she's certainly a younger. teenager yeah she's <laughs> definitely younger than 20 probably yeah um, and so it kind of puts a different spin on it when you realize that she's probably not much older than even Lydia. Yeah. And so realizing that she's a young woman also in a Regency era time period who's just trying to figure things out and just trying to make sure she's secure in life too. And who better to secure in life than her brother's wealthy friend? Like, it's perfectly reasonable that she would go for Darcy. Is she a brat? Yes. I think we can just say she is. (laughs) She's a brat. (laughs) She's a brat. And um, I wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with her. But um, for fear of everything she'd be saying behind my back. But, like, she is still in that same situation. Same with Charlotte. Same as Charlotte. She is in a situation where she needs to make a marriage she's also the youngest she has an older sister who's married already so it's a lot more at the forefront of her mind because mm-hmm. she's next some pressure because mm-hmm. i mean obviously 
Mr. Bingley can be next, but he's a man. So it's just a very different yeah. situation. She's kind of the next one that's really expected to be married. Yeah. Um, so she has kind of a lot of pressure from family, I'm sure, because of that. Um, she also, I also do end up feeling kind of bad for her. Um, there's a scene, let me pull it up, where she's talking. It's after this first proposal between Lizzie and Darcy. Um, and I believe uh, Caroline comes to visit at um, Lady Catherine's house, mm-hmm. I believe. Or okay. maybe it's just at Pemberley. No, I think it's at Pemberley when Lizzie's there. That's right. When Lizzie goes to visit Pemberley, Caroline ends up coming to stay as well. While you're finding that, I'll add in. I think it's interesting um, that it's really, I think sometimes, uh, you know, for us plebes out here, it can be hard to feel a lot of sympathy for somebody who will be taken care of, even if she doesn't get married, like, Mr. Bingley's a good guy, you know, like she's not going to end up in a bad situation. Yeah, she's going to be taken care of throughout her life. But I think that in her context, it's really important to recognize that when we have a higher standard of living, we expect to be able to maintain that higher standard of living, you know. And so she could marry anybody and is you know anybody somebody lower than darcy and still be perfectly fine and wealthy and taken care of but she has this like life expectation and she wants to meet that expectation and again i think that can be really hard to have sympathy for sometimes but i think it's legitimate too you know like if i live a certain way and then have to degrade myself from that, I'm going to see myself in a degraded way. And that's hurtful to our emotional and mental well-being, you know? So I think that that's maybe a more helpful way of looking at her desire to be with a person of a certain standing, where it's like you could Mm -hmm. have anybody. And I think (laughs) the social stigma, too, because Mm -hmm. easily, I mean, Mr. Bingley is a really kind person, and so it's hard to believe that he would ostracize her or reject right, her. Right. But if she's marrying below their station, there's a, it's going to be expected that they do, that they push away from her. Right. Um, and so it makes sense that she'd want to aim higher. Additionally, like just the fact that um, she not getting married is still not really an option because even though she technically would be taken care of necessities wise, like... First of all, I mean, even nowadays, we all want to get out of the house. Like, why would you want to be taken care of by your brother your right. whole life and live yeah. with him forever? Like, are you kidding me? That's that also sounds degrading. Awful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it just makes you feel very useless, Yeah, I think. And especially back then, like, a spinster would be seen as just kind of a Terrible burden. stigma. Yeah. yeah. Like, a burden and not someone to take seriously either. Yeah. And so... Um, Although, in some ways, those women were taken more seriously than wives, but that's a whole other discussion. So, <laughs> History. <laughs> um, yes, but yeah, just there's a lot. It's just very complex, her situation, for yeah. sure. And I think it goes beyond just living necessities. It's also just like emotional necessities. Yeah. Um, I really social think that she has some time. validation there. Yeah, for sure. And it's really sad because, like I said, she's really young. And um, towards the end, like I said, when she's visiting at Pemberley, she sort of starts to tease Darcy again about liking Elizabeth and mm-hmm. thinking her eyes are pretty <laughs> and whatever. And um, she kind of ends up torturing herself. And it makes it very clear that that's what she's doing is mm-hmm. um, she just can't help herself because 
she wants to get Darcy's attention and she's kind of bitter that he cares about Elizabeth. And so he, she's trying to put his attention somewhere else besides herself or besides Lizzie, um, even if it's on her in a negative way. She just she's just bitter. And um, Austin writes how Miss Bingley um used not the best method of recommending herself she says but angry people are not always wise and in seeing him at last look somewhat nettled she had all the success she expected he was resolutely silent however and from a determination of making him speak she continued um she continued to talk about how he had mentioned her um lizzie's beauty and Darcy replies that it is many months since I have considered her as one of the handsomest women of my acquaintance. He then went away and Miss Bingley was left to all the satisfaction of having forced him to say what gave no one any pain but herself. And I love that she points out like she's angry yeah. in this moment. And so she's not thinking rationally and she just ends up causing herself more pain. And it's just like I remember listening to the audiobook of this the second time I read it. And hearing that scene and just, like, having my heart twist a little bit. Like, it's just so sad that she, you know, she really... And she probably did have some level of affection for Darcy and developed some... Because she probably had high enough hopes that she was letting herself fall in love with him. Mm -hmm. And then to have him reject her so openly, like, even though it's not like he's at fault. Like, he's just falling in love with someone he's falling in love with who's a good person as well. Um, Caroline just is watching that and seeing an opportunity slip away that she really had her heart set on and that's just heartbreaking (laughs) no matter who you are it's heartbreaking to see an opportunity like that float away not even just a romantic thing but just yeah just something where you're like this is the life I want and I have it at my fingertips and then to have it slip away and then be angry and not rational and maybe say something that causes something that you regret happening She's just a very human character. I think most of the book we see her as such an enemy, but ultimately she is just a human and she's yeah. just a young girl she's a teenage who's girl. just trying to make her way in a really intense social world. Yeah. So. And I wanted to, yeah, the, what I kind of found you touched on a little bit was her, um, her feelings for Darcy. You know, mm-hmm. there's another scene when uh, uh, Jane is sick and Lizzie is over it. Um, at Pemberley yes. no, no not Pemberley Netherfield, Netherfield. Mm-hmm. there it yeah. is um, Jane is at Netherfield recovering and um, and Lizzie goes to nurse her and they're all kind of hanging out uh, one night just you know reading chatting whatever uh, and Caroline is just desperately trying to get Darcy's attention right she's like making all the comments she can doing everything she can and he is just hardcore ignoring her right um and it finally says she gets up and starts walking around the room to show off her figure classic a classic, classic scene um and i <laughs> we won't get into the classicness of the yes. scene taking a turn about the room yes. but uh she, it says in the desperation of her feelings she resolved on one effort more and that just really struck me as I was reading this and thinking about Caroline in the desperation of her feelings. Like, I've been in love before. And like, yeah, like you just you're just like, 
I'll do anything, you know, like, how do I get you to fall for me? Like, I and, and you get smarter at it usually as you get older. But when you're younger, you're just like, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm gonna say this dumb thing. And like, I'll, I'll do this. And I'll say this. And it's probably super annoying, but you don't care because you're just like, I just like you so much and I want you to pay attention to me so badly, you know, and that that desperation of like, please, Darcy, just just look at me like I'm young, I'm attractive, I'm your best friend's sister, like everything is perfect here. And 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 I really I wouldn't be surprised if she had really strong feelings for him, you know, and um, he's attractive. He's wealthy. He has everything going for him. She's like, gotten to know him already. She's got she knows his character. She knows that he's good. She she knows him like there's every reason to believe that she's in love with him right here. And she would just give anything for him to feel the same way back. Yeah. And that'll turn any anyone into a brat especially a woman who feels threatened by another woman yes. <laughs> like i've yes. kind of i've done some bratty things around other mm-hmm. women because there's a man i want in the yeah. room you know like it's just it's such a natural you know human just mm-hmm. how you put it it's just yeah. such a natural human way to act yeah and i think i just i wish we got to know caroline better because mm-hmm. i feel like there's moments. probably a lot more to her than mm-hmm. what we see but yeah lizzie is seeing her at the worst moments because lizzie's the enemy <laughs> the enemy <laughs> lizzie's the enemy lizzie's yeah. the enemy and so that's sure. all she's able to see um but at the end we do see a little glimpse because it talks about how she becomes really good friends with georgiana hmm. which she doesn't have to like darcy's already married and i think there's kind of a hint that maybe it will keep her in a position to meet other wealthy men right but like she could have done that in many other ways like her brother is still her brother is also wealthy, wealthy. <laughs> so like she could have made connections other ways but the fact that she wasn't spite like she was willing to make friends with darcy's sister mm-hmm. um and to be around her a lot and it doesn't really make it sound like she's awful to her or to lizzie even still like, it's almost like she just seeks this friendship because she is aware of the positive aspects of Georgiana as a as a person. And um, she's willing, it seems like she's been able to somehow, at least on some level, forgive Lizzie for that seeming just enmity between them. So, yeah, I wish we could learn more about Caroline, but we don't. But we can at least get those hints. Yes. That maybe she's not as bad as she appears in the book. She just is in a very specific context. And that is why she's behaving the way she's behaving. Um, So, great conversation. Awesome. Such a good conversation. Um, There's actually, I did want to read this little quote before we go into our next little points okay. because it's going to be a doozy you guys it's good it gets harder this part here. of the conversation will be very long because we don't have much to say it gets a lot harder I guess, from okay here. let's start off by talking about what we're going to talk about okay so we've talked about obviously these women in these certain contexts we've talked about these two people within a really marriage relationship that are just very different um we've talked about two people who seem very different at first but they learn that they actually have a lot in common um but what about the people we actively do not like and <laughs> or, hate. Are, or almost hate um that perhaps don't necessarily have a lot of redeeming qualities they're not in a context that necessarily 
I mean, maybe you can make some arguments for that, but, <laughs> but not, not, good ones. <laughs> not on the same level, for sure. Um, so if you haven't guessed, we're talking about Mr. Wickham. <laughs> How do we feel charity for Mr. Wickham? Um, because it is part of charity to love these kinds of people. Love um, your enemies. Exactly. <laughs> in a talk, it actually connects back to Christ really well in his story. Um, in a recent talk given by Elder Suarez of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in the most recent general conference, um, he talked a little bit about charity. And um, he said, when we think of charity, our minds usually turn to generous acts and donations to relieve the suffering of those who are experiencing physical, material or emotional illness. Still, charity is not only related to something we donate to someone, but it's an attribute of the savior, savior and can become part of our character. He goes on to talk about how Jesus perfectly exemplified what it means to own this bond of perfection and peace, especially when facing the agonizing events that preceded his, martyr, his martyrdom. Think for a moment about what Jesus must have felt as he humbly washed his disciples' feet, knowing that one of them would betray him that very night. Or when Jesus, hours later, mercifully healed the ear of one of the men who had accompanied Judas, his betrayer, to arrest him. Or even when the Savior, standing in front of Pilate, was unfairly accused by the chief priests and elders, and not a word he uttered against the false charges against him. And he left the Roman, gover Roman governor marveling. So Christ was able to tr not only forgive Judas, but treat him kindly, knowing what he was about to do. Yeah. Um, which... It's just so hard to and do. And heal someone yeah. who is mm -hmm. about to kill him. Yeah, to heal someone who literally is there to take him, to have him killed. So obviously there's some way we can feel charity even for those people who do terrible terrible wrongs against us. Um, now, does that mean that necessarily Jesus is going to go hang out with this guy <laughs> who he healed his ear? Probably not. Um it's probably not going to be healthy for either one of them because I don't think obviously Jesus wouldn't be safe, but this other man probably wouldn't be comfortable. But yeah, we, it is possible is what Christ shows us in that story. So with Mr. Wickham, um, I think first of all, I mean, we don't even need to necessarily make excuses for him. I did think about the fact, you know, he grew up in a poor situation, but like, even that is yeah. like poor, ish yeah, you know -ish. like he had he had a family mm -hmm. and then he had a wealthy guy paying for everything yeah. so and he like, just threw away those opportunities yeah. on his own and then thought he could keep getting away with throwing those opportunities away but still receiving them mm -hmm. and so there's really not anything redeeming about mr wickham <laughs> there's just not besides his charm i guess <laughs> you could be like well at least he's charming but he still deserves some level of charity. <laughs> okay. He does. <laughs> Here's what I have to give him. Here's my at least. Okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay go for it. Um, we have... <laughs> so after Lizzie finds out the truth about Wickham, right? Mm -hmm. Wickham doesn't know that she knows yet. Uh, she's read Darcy's letter, but it's her first time talking to Wickham since then. And... Uh, She's kind of like she mentions that she's talked to Darcy and he kind of goes like, oh, <laughs> and like starts to get nervous. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and she like doesn't say anything outright, but starts like hinting mm -hmm. at things. Right. But and he like 
Well, okay. Um, so it like kind of grows, you know, he, he's getting more and more nervous. Um, it starts with like a look and then kind of, anyway, um, finally kind of climaxes to Wickham's alarm now appeared in a heightened complexion and agitated look. For a few minutes, he was silent till shaking off his embarrassment. He turned to her again and, you know, continued the conversation. Um, but I think it's really interesting that he's so nervous and embarrassed about it, you know, Fair. like yeah. he's been charming this woman. He's been lying to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now that he's worried that she knows about it, he's like, oh, crap. And then it says later, um, they parted at last with mutual civility and possibly a mutual desire of never meeting again. <laughs> and so, you know, he's. So my at least is at least he's embarrassed. <laughs> he at least like, knows. He knows that he's scummy and he like, he likes this woman, maybe not romantically, you know, whatever, but he, he likes her and respects her and he doesn't want her. He cares what she thinks of him. Mm-hmm. And it seems like not in a totally superficial yeah. way, you know, because because her opinion ultimately has no effect on his standing in society or yeah. anything about him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that she, he genuinely like respects her and wants her to respect him. And yeah. that's like something. <laughs> yeah, it is something. And he marries Lydia. Yeah. It talks about the fact that Darcy forces him to marry mm-hmm. Lydia but if we think about logically what that looks like, like one grown man can't actually physically force yeah. another grown man to marry yeah. someone. Mm-hmm. So Darcy had leverage to hold over his head with like debt, but debt is such a one-time thing. Wickham mm-hmm. isn't an idiot, you know, he's not yeah. going to throw away his entire life to get a little bit of debt paid off, right? Mm-hmm. Or a lot of debt, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. um, And so... Unless that debt really was so crippling that it was worth it. It seems to me like, you know, there's some level of him accepting responsibility because, again, that's hardly redeemable because Darcy does have a fair bit of leverage over him. Yeah. But but he does go with it. He does accept some small level of yeah. responsibility for his actions. And since we brought up, like, the modern idea um, with Mrs. Bennett, we could also say that perhaps he's dealing with addiction problems, too, mm. where maybe his embarrassment and his willingness to even marry Lydia comes from the fact that he is changing, like, he's starting to realize that his behavior is not appropriate, but he can't just break free of it because right. he's addicted to gambling or drink or both. Yeah. Um, which he got himself so, into, but it doesn't did, make it easier. Yeah. And eventually it stops being your choice yeah. if it's an addiction. For so sure. um, obviously it always starts with a choice, but eventually it can lead to yeah. not that agency is drawn away yeah. from you. And he was a dumb teenage so, kid at one point too. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and that's probably where it who started. Who made poor decisions. So he's kind of like the prodigal son. Maybe he'll come mm. back eventually. And he you could. would hope that, you know... I mean, you could imagine Darcy's father being, like, the father in that story and Wickham being the prodigal son that comes home. And yeah. hope you would hope that Darcy's not the oldest son. <laughs> That's like, yo, what about me? I've right. been here this whole time. And his father's like, yo, you literally inherited everything. Right. So, like, you yeah. have nothing to complain about if I give a face <laughs> to Wickham. You know, like, I just think there's some 
um, echoes of that story too. So oh, I can see again, that. Yeah. Like going back to that quote from the law of love by Steve, um, Steve Young that just talks about like, don't judge another's journey with God. Cause you don't know where they're actually at. Yeah, and I think this going. story, you know, this story is from Lizzie's perspective. Like, yes, it's third person, but it's pretty much yeah. Lizzie's. We're, We're in Lizzie's mostly head. in Lizzie's head. There's a few moments where we break away from that, but majority is Lizzie's head. And so, of course, Wickham's just not going to come out looking very good. But there's every possibility that he'll change in the future. Yeah. And for Lydia's ha- sake, I really hope he does. Yeah. I hope they both are able to change in a positive way. Um there's definitely a lot of years um, where there's room to grow for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Wow, look at that. I actually feel a slight bit yeah. more sympathy uh, and charity with Wickham. for Wickham. <laughs> <laughs> if you just think about all these things that we just don't understand. And I think just remembering with all people that we just don't know. We just don't know. We don't know all the complexities. We don't know what chemicals are going off in their brain. We don't know what their history has been like. We don't know how that might have impacted them. People are just too complex of an amalgamation of so many different influences and things in life that we just can't assume someone's future based on their past. It's just impossible. And I like that you mentioned chemicals going off in someone's brain because even putting these stories in context and helping kind of explain the situations people are in, you just can't expect different people to react the same way Mm -hmm. to the same situation. You know, even if I responded really positively in the situation that he was put in, I've probably responded poorly in situations that he would have done really well in. You know, we're just, we're different people. We do things differently and, you know, we learn and grow from them. So um, to close, I do really quickly want to just read a little. So in Preach My Gospel, which if you are unaware, it's a manual for missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, It has several chapters about various different ways of teaching and also things you teach about. Um, And there's actually a chapter about Christ-like attributes and some of those attributes, how you can develop them um and study them and one of them of course is charity and it talks about how in the new testament specifically in matthew 22 which we actually just recently read this chapter for come follow me um if you've been following along with that for study this year um studying the new testament and it talks about how someone asks him what's the greatest commandments um and jesus replied thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind this is the first and great commandment and the second is like unto it thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and i love that it says like unto it because you can't have one without the other basically you can't love other people and not love god and you can't love god and not love other people at least start developing that Um, obviously there's a perfect level of love that we're not going to um, be able to achieve in this life that's just not possible but we can be developing a perfect version of that charity and love that goes for both God and um, our fellow men and I think Pride and Prejudice just has a lot of examples of how you can do that with various different types of people various different types of relationships with other people Um, And I, even though, like I mentioned, I don't think Jane Austen went far enough within her own writing, I do think she planted seeds that have allowed us and everybody reading this book to be able to learn a little bit more about that quality, that attribute of charity. Look and look at other people differently and look inside yourself differently. Look at relationships Mm -hmm. differently. 
pray for love and charity you know yes. those are mm-hmm. those are the starting points pray to be able to be able to look at somebody differently you yeah. know I def- understand them yeah a little bit better yeah um, and if you can't understand them to recognize that it, maybe it's not your place to understand yeah. them <laughs> i think just yeah being able to respect the humanity and the people around mm-hmm. us um and of course that doesn't mean you have to necessarily hang out with someone all the time it can be charity can be felt from across the mountains as well if you feel like it's safer if that's the way it is um because obviously you can't control another person's agency no matter how much you love them yeah but we can all at least make the attempts to yeah, see the humanity and the people around us and remember that they are children of god and they do have a relationship with god whether or not they realize it whether or not they even believe in god there's still yeah. a relationship there um, on some level and so just respecting that and allowing people to have their journeys and trusting that in the end we'll all come to the end of our journeys and it will all be what it's supposed to be yep. um so we wanted to leave with a challenge we didn't get to talk <laughs> about one character that i would love to hear people's thoughts on um and that is lady catherine de Burgh. how can you feel charity for lady catherine um yes <laughs> i think there's several reasons we could probably come up with um but we want to leave that to you so um please if you're watching on youtube feel free to comment down below and let us know your thoughts on them um i think we're going to close this out here but thank you so much for watching or listening if you decided to listen on the podcast um we will be coming back next week on next monday this next time we're going to be discussing a film so we won't give away which one but i will hint that it's a disney one so definitely come back and we'll be chatting again and we hope you enjoyed this our first episode sorry if it felt a little all over the place like i said we're it's our first. We're working so on it. <laughs> we're getting used to it, but we hope you at least enjoyed our yes. thoughts. Thank um, you so much for joining yes, us. Absolutely. Definitely. So, yes, we hope you are having a wonderful week. Keep remembering to see God in all things, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.